0: So as we wait for the COVID-19 vaccine rollout to shift into high gear, a lot of talk about a variant of the virus that emerged in the UK and now is being found all over. So what does this mean, this variant? How concerned should we be? Will this affect how much protection a vaccine gives us? All good questions. To find some better answers, caught up with Dr. Zachary Clace. He's an associate professor in pharmacology and physiology at Drexel University's College of Medicine. Really interesting stuff check it out so let's start the idea that a virus would have a variant this is not unusual correct people are freaking out but this concept isn't something out of the horror movie right
1: no um i mean i think the best way to describe this is that saying a virus mutates is a little like saying that dog bites man right it's it you know it, it's it sounds sensational but it's not really i don't want to say it's not news we're talking news but it's something that happens all the time it's perfectly natural. The fact that change is happening doesn't necessarily mean that something awful is coming down the road.
0: What causes it? Without getting too much into the epidemiology weeds, uh, what allows this to happen? What leads to this
1: happening? It's, it's like sitting down to, like if you sat down to copy a book, right, by hand, you'd make a mistake somewhere along the way. You know, every time we copy a piece of, of DNA or, or RNA in this case, a mistake gets made. Um, it, it, it happens with you and me right? We're mutants compared to our our parents. Like some mistake got made along the way there. We're fine. The same thing happens with with viruses. Uh, Coronaviruses, you know, it's got this big, long genome, but it makes a mistake every time it copies it. Um, And over time, those accrue. And those are the mutations that we're talking about.
0: So a lot of focus has been on this UK variant, this UK mutation. What do we know about it? Why is it standing out? Why is it turning people's heads?
1: Okay. I mean, I think it stood out because the the epidemiologists that were doing the original analysis, like back in September, uh, and, and what I what I mean by that is, you know, in, in the UK especially, I think they do it better than we do, uh, but here as well, you know, we sequence some of the viruses that we get, right? So not just do your nose swab and say, do you have it or not? Some of those get sent off and they look at the entire sequence of the virus. Um, and the epidemiologists looking at the transmission in the UK, you know, put this thing together, what we call a phylogenetic tree. And it looks like a tree. It's all these branches that come off of it. And there was just this one huge branch, like hanging way off to the side with all this stuff on it, right? And just this very visual impact of like, wow, something is different here. Um, and, and what they saw was, okay, they were getting a lot of copies of this mutated virus. So it wasn't just like a one-off. And the number of changes were really high. You know, if, if you were to follow, I have to call it like an infection chain, like if you were infected and you coughed on someone and then someone and then someone and someone and, someone, and we looked at that chain like a month later, there would be one change. Like that's about the rate of mutation of, of this particular coronavirus. Uh, this UK variant had 14 changes, all sort of at the same time, which was like, well, you know, where did this come from? And I, I think that's the initial thing that got people perplexed, I guess I should say.
0: The headline I've heard connected to this is that the concern is it seems to be much more transmissible. Um, Is that the case? And kind of explain
1: why. Right. Um, Explaining why, I'll come back to that in the end. uh, Because I don't know that we we know why. uh, And that makes all of what we do know a, a, a really good guess, but I think a guess. So, once they knew that this variant was out there, they could go and they could start to look for it. And if you look at the number of people that had this British mutation in Britain versus the number of people that didn't over the time that they were looking at, like September, October, November, December, the percentage of people, like the total proportion that had this this mutant variant increased, right? So that looks like, hey, more and more people are getting this and less people are getting the other one. So that immediately makes you think, okay, maybe there's something about this variant that means that you can spread it faster, right? That, you know, somebody who has it is going to give it to more people than the other variant. I will say there's a lot of of problems with that, not problems, a lot of, you know, alternatives to that, right? We know with coronavirus that 80% of the transmission is the result of 10% of the infected people. So it's it's really dependent on what we call super spreader events. And that can be that could be biology, you know, something about you being sick, you're just all this virus is coming out of you. Um, or it could be behavioral, right? Somebody in a group that's not wearing masks, doing social distancing, paying attention is gonna be more likely to spread it, right? And those kind of effects I think are a little worrisome when you start saying, you know, it's spreading faster, it's hard to tease out the the you know, the personal element right but the epidemiologists i think have done a fairly good job in britain at looking at you know the spread over time and they do see an increase over like you know month to month to month and also in different geographies like different parts of britain so it it does look like it's spreading faster i think the why is the good question right you know is that just because the areas where they're seeing it spreading faster are the areas where the most infection is right there's just a lot of infection going on You know, is it what we call a founder effect? You know, it's just you got into the right group of people that weren't paying attention and it spread fast there. You know, it's looking less like that. But until we have a really good example of some lab data or something that might back up why it would be more transmissible, it's hard to really, like for me as a lab scientist, to say, you know, yes, this is more transmissible. The the truth is we might never know that, right, because that would take, you know, experiments in animals, you could maybe do some stuff in a cell culture dish and look at you know if the virus spreads more rapidly there, but you can't really do the experiment in people, right? So you know you might you might never know. We have to just keep keep an eye on it.
0: Do we know like when we talk about something being more transmissible in general? Is it just a matter of you're shedding a lot more virus for a lot longer? You know, is it more from a mechanics standpoint? Right, a kind right. of breakdown what more trans. What could more transmissible mean into what, not so much the why, but what exactly is happening that it's transmissed, being that right. tr- transmitted like that?
1: Right. See, now you're, you've, you've been thinking like an epidemiologist because they, they break down transmissibility into all these little little variables. I, I'd say the, the big ones are how long are you infectious, right? If, if there's only a day window where you can infect somebody else, you're unlikely to infect as many people as if you're infectious for a week. Right, um, and that probably relates to the course of the disease, and I, I there's a little bit of evidence that for people with this variant, their what we call viral load, it's like how much virus is in their nose is a little higher problem there is it's you know in the PCR range where the PCR could be anywhere from a number of like ten to forty, we're talking too higher, so what does too higher mean? you know, so maybe they're infectious a little longer. they could be producing greater amounts of virus right so that even within a given time they're still infectious the amount of time but if they're producing five times as much virus that means when they cough or they sneeze five times as much virus comes out right that's another one and then the other one could just be all these things are the same but the virus itself has changed to become more efficient we think of things as you know okay one virus can get out and infect one person that's probably not true you need to get a dose of you know A few dozen individual, what we call virions, those tiny little pretty particles when you see the pictures, because most of them aren't going to find the right cell to get into. Um, So if something changes that might, you know, increase the efficiency of how the virus gets into a cell or from person to person, that can increase transmissibility too. Um, And I maybe maybe to predict the next question there, um, some of the guesses, I think, about what could possibly be different about the British, you know, variant. Um, are because they're in these fourteen changes. A number of them are in that spike protein, that thing that interacts with the ACE2 receptor that helps it get into, you know, the cells in your in your epithelium. And at least one of those is like right in a major region that we think is important for that interaction between those two proteins. Um, and that means like if that interaction gets stronger, it's possible the virus could get in better.
0: In addition to the UK, I've also read a couple things about a variant in South Africa. Right? Is this a separate ball game, or is this the same thing we're dealing with? Because I've had the couple things I've read seem to refer to it as its own entity and kind of its own headache.
1: It it is its own entity. It's got its own name. You know, these things have like B point one point. I think that one's three fifty one. We're, we're reminded as virologists not to name viruses after places, but it's so darn convenient. Um, so, you know, South African variant. Yeah, it's a different thing. It's, it's distinct from the the, the British variant. Uh, and I think the this is more recent, right? But the, the data we're starting to see look very similar, right? It's the idea that that variant is starting to become the dominant variant in South Africa and, and parts of the region. Again, suggesting that it might be, you know, transmitting at a higher rate.
0: Is that our only – I see a couple things, and I say this as one of the billion of armchair epidemiologists that the, are on the planet now. It seemed to me just the the things I read about the South African variant, there were more alarm bells that it might be more than just more transmissible. Is that just people grabbing headlines, or what do we know at this point?
1: I, I Sure, I'll be bold. I think it's people grabbing headlines. You know, and that's that's with, with a nod to people that are, you know, collegial in academia, right? There's some people with doctors in their title saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm worried by this. I, I think much like the, the British variant, a lot of that is our best guess, right? We see a change here, and this change could be bad. Um, the, the way mutations work, I mean, you know, I told said at the beginning, you know, mutations happen all the time. We're mutants. You know, most mutations do nothing right? The mutation could be bad for the virus. Mutation could be good for the virus. You know, and there's, there's definitely a wait and see. The important wait and see would probably be things like, does it affect what we do for therapy? Does it make you sicker? And, you know, is it going to mess with the vaccine?
0: And that was the million dollar question I'm working up to at this point. Is there any concern that the vaccines that are being rolled out will not be effective by either or any of these variants.
1: Right. So, I mean, I think, you know, there was some discussion early on in the virology world about, um, you know, why did Pfizer pick to use the entire spike protein as their vaccine when we could have went for just the really, you know, crucial part. Um, I think this is maybe showing the wisdom of that decision, right? We, we put in a, a big protein, Meaning that you're gaining immune response to all different pieces of this protein, and I, you know, I think they've identified something like you know 20 really important sites in that protein that that lead to the antibody production that we see after people get the vaccine. That makes it fairly resistant to any single change, right? Like maybe you lose one of those 20 some sites, but then you have 19 left. Um, and the data doesn't exist yet for these variants. Um, but there has been analysis of what we call neutralization activity. Like that's the big thing with a vaccine is to is to induce neutralizing antibodies in people. Those so are basically antibodies so strong and they're going to stop the virus before it ever gets into your cells. Um, and you can measure that in the lab. And we've looked at some of the other variants that have come up over time. Like there was a variant back in September that people were a little bit concerned about that you know isn't either of these two, and some other things that we've looked at. And when you look at neutralization. By the antibodies produced by vaccinated people, it doesn't change in these variants. So I I think that's pretty good evidence that these, you know, the British variant and the South African variant are probably not going to have, you know, too much trouble being suppressed by the vaccine.
0: The fact that if we had done a better job bringing the pandemic under control. Would we have less of a concern about variants and stuff like that just because it'd be less? You talk about making a copy, there would be less copies. Is one of the reasons why we're all kind of white knuckling this is basically this thing has, has run a rough and had all these millions, if not billions, of opportunities to copy.
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I think there's a number of great missteps that I'm hoping we will write down. You know, you and I were talking before we started recording about you know, future prospects and how we might change some things. The concern, you know, from, from a molecular, you know, in the dish virology point of view, like where does this, what we call escape, right? You know, where does the ability of a virus to ignore a drug or a vaccine or intervention come from? And where that comes from is the diversity of the mutations that are in the virus population, right? So that the virus is mutating all the time and, At this point, if you were to sequence any two viruses from across the planet from people, there might be about 10 differences between them, right? And as we go further and further in time, there will be more and more differences, right? So there will be this greater pool of mutants. It's that pool of mutants that one of those might be resistant to something important, right? So you you need that diversity before – like that's the basic sort of driving of evolution is to have diversity and the diversity comes from the fact that we've been letting the virus spread unchecked, right? So if we had had testing earlier and containment earlier, and maybe just, you know, taking masks seriously rather than fighting it earlier, we'd have less virus, which means we'd have less mutations and we'd be less worried about things going wrong. I, I could maybe even take it a step further and say some of the ill, uh, I'm not going to, well, I said it, some of the ill, conceived attempts at therapy, like using um, convalescent plasma right early on before we knew whether or not that was going to work. That's the exact type of thing that we do in the laboratory in a dish to induce a virus to come up with an escape mutation. right? We throw things at it that have a little bit of an effect but aren't necessarily very effective. right? So you let a virus grow for a while and then you throw a little bit of antibody at it that doesn't work and then you can induce that virus to make a change that will help it avoid the antibody. I, things like, hey, we think convalescent plasma is going to work. Let's do it on tens of thousands of people. <laughs> Sounds like maybe we're helping the virus a little. Um, so I, you know, if I could go back, wish we would have changed that just a little bit.
0: So considering everything we've talked about, everything we've all experienced over the last 10 months, given that vaccines are rolling out as many issues as we seem to be having getting the vaccines into the the population are you confident from your study from living this that we have legitimate light getting brighter at the end of the tunnel
1: oh yeah i mean there 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 certainly is right the everybody was hoping for a vaccine that was 60 or 70% effective right because that would give you a real ability to to like deflect the angle of outbreaks and mean things would go down. And we ended up with vaccines that are 90% effective. That's amazing, right? Um, that, and that takes a lot of the headache. Like I've talked to some, you know, state health officials that were worried about, like, how can we get enough people vaccinated when it's 90% effective? You know, some people can fall through the cracks and it's still going to be okay. So, I mean, that's fantastic. We've had some worries, you know, also kind of in the press about this idea that, you know, your immunity might go away over time. And that's because, you know, if you look at somebody right after they were sick and got better, they have a lot of antibodies in their blood. And then three months later, they don't have any antibodies there. Um, that's normal. That's that's how your immune system works. Otherwise, you'd be a big walking lymph node. You'd just be full of antibodies. Um, but it does mean that the cells of your body learned how to do what they're going to do. And they're waiting in there and they can respond the next time. You know, so I'm not even all that worried about the idea that, oh, we might have to come back and you know, vaccinate people every year. I think we're going to be OK. I'm really excited about the vaccine. We just got to we have to get it out to people, which is a monumental undertaking.
0: That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon and we'll have another episode out soon.